What's up, Story Geeks? It's Jay on today's podcast. We're continuing our serial, Time Slingers Season 1, the online time travel adventure series, which we turned into a novel, and now we've turned it into an audiobook. We're still hard at work on our new upcoming full cast audiobook, Death of a Bounty Hunter, but we also thought it'd be fun to republish Time Slingers Season 1, which exists as a novel, but we thought it'd be fun to publish it as an audiobook as well which we're doing here on the Story Geeks podcast. Last week, we published episode one, and this week, we're diving into episode two. You can also check out my writer's commentary on our Patreon account. Last week, I talked about the nature of time as it relates to time travel stories and just barely touched the surface of some of the issues we encounter as time travel writers. If you become a supporter of the Story Geeks podcast on Patreon for only $3 a month, you unlock that writer's commentary every week. You also unlock the full audiobook when it's complete. All $3 a month supporters and any dollar amounts above that will receive the audiobook for no additional cost. Time Slingers Season 1. Physical and digital copies of Time Slingers Season 1 are available on Amazon if you prefer not to listen to me read it to you. <laughs> and if you don't want to become a patron, you can purchase the full audiobook as soon as it's finished. Links to all of those things are in the show notes or you can head over to patreon.com slash thestorygeeks for more info. Time Slingers Season 1 is produced by the Reclamation Society. Here's Episode 2 of Time Slingers. Episode 2, June 2nd, 2147, Union Subdivision Headquarters, Undisclosed Location. The howl of the alarm resounded against the metallic walls of Subdivision Headquarters. Hector jogged down the narrow corridor until he caught up with Colonel Taylor, both headed toward the control room. What are we looking at? asked Taylor. Molecular transfer, said Hector. Two time-slinger signatures this time. That fast... Five hours later? Four since Dallas. They're getting more aggressive, sir. Hector's dark eyebrows slanted forward over a pair of concerned auburn eyes. Failure echoed through the halls at a higher pitch than the alarm, and it carried more weight. They paused at the door to the control room. I'm responsible, sir. We didn't get there. Our intel was all over the place. We're playing with time, and I don't have enough of it to let you second-guess yourself right now. Colonel Taylor stomped into the control room and watched the latest reports flashing across his data pad. His scowl expressed more concentration than anger, but his demeanor held something new, apprehension and worry. The recognition of catastrophe and its consequences came as a heavy blow. Known history had been altered on his watch. What do we have, folks? Taylor asked. An operative stationed at a nearby terminal answered. Still running the decryption, sir. I need a location. The operative's eyes burned into the screen. She spun around. Got it! Florida, 1970! Colonel Taylor stared at Hector. You're the best thing we've got, Salazar. No second guessing. Let's go! Hector saluted and headed for the transfer machine. Determination cast its glow across his features. He needed redemption. March 31st, 1970. Uncle John's Diner, Orlando, Florida. Klein placed the tape recorder on the table and waited. It didn't take long for Henry to start squirming. Do you know why I'm here, Mr. Ellis? The slim engineer with black-rimmed glasses blinked several times and bumped his coffee mug, nearly spilling its contents across the table. 
I, uh, I have no, I, I, I don't know. No. The name Simon Kingsley mean anything to you? Simon Kingsley was a harmless small-time bookie from Tampa. He was neither important nor interesting, but Henry had placed losing bets through Kingsley several months prior. The bets were insignificant in the bigger scheme of things, but of the utmost importance to a guilt-ridden Henry Ellis. Henry couldn't see the future, had no way of knowing that he'd pay those debts off in less than a year. After 1970, money wouldn't be a problem for Henry. But at that bygone moment in 1970, he had no idea what his future would look like. Unfortunately for Henry, Klein knew all about him, which made the apprehensive engineer a prime target. I don't know who that is. You make a habit of giving $750 to strangers? What? How do you... I need information, said Klein. We have reason to believe there's a leak in your department. A leak? Someone's feeding information to the Soviets. I would never, blurted Henry. We know it's not you. Henry Ellis, a good man who'd made a bad decision. He'd only placed the bets with Kingsley because he had needed the money. That was before he'd been able to land his current job as a low-level NASA engineer. But those bets gave Klein the bargaining chip he needed. What about my gambling debts? Nobody needs to know. The FBI would rather keep this between the two of us, Klein lied. Just work with me and keep your mouth shut. So, you're blackmailing me? Think of it as insurance. He moved his coffee mug to the side and squinted at his prey. Now, tell me more about the Apollo program, Henry. April 4th, 1970. Wedgefield Motel outside Orlando, Florida. Jack showed Hector the 3D schematic. Kennedy Space Center, circa 1970. Every air duct, cross beam, and drain pipe. So, what do you think? Looks good. No, I mean this whole scenario. They assassinate JFK, and hours later we're tracking them to Cape Canaveral? What are they after? Hector shook his head. Keep your eyes and ears open. Whatever it is, we're not going to let it happen. Think it might be Apollo 13? Hector scanned the 3D model again and then skimmed the mission debrief. It is the next planned launch. Historical records show that they performed a successful lunar landing and gathered information on the Fra Mara region. Doesn't sound like a critical target. What did they find? Moon rocks and gray dust? Call Jessica. Have her check. A tap on the door broke the sentence in half. Jack's near-perpetual smile vanished. The motel was mostly vacant and they weren't expecting visitors. Hector drew his gun and Jack moved to the window and peered through a crack in the blinds. Another tap. Jack motioned that it was safe. Sliding away from the window, he mouthed that it was the motel manager. Hector paused at the door until Jack was ready, and then he pulled it open. The motel manager appeared as though he'd been roused from a midday nap. Uh, just got an urgent message. A glint of sun reflected off something atop the opposite roof of the U-shaped motel. Hector grabbed the manager and pulled him inside the room as two high-energy blasts hit the doorframe and dissipated through the walls. Shoving the manager toward the bed, Hector dove for cover as another shot made the window shudder. He grimaced. They found us! Thanks for listening to Episode 2 of Time Slingers Season 1. We'll be back next week with Episode 3. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss out. 
Stay tuned. After this outro, I'll play a clip from my exclusive behind-the-scenes commentary where I talk a little more about the Apollo program. If you want access to the full commentary on each episode, support us on Patreon at the $3 a month tier, which is the tier that most people support us at. That's over at patreon.com slash thestorygeeks. If you want to binge listen to Time Slinger Season 1, you can order the entire audiobook when it's complete. Or if you'd prefer to read it yourself, you can get a print or digital copy as well on amazon.com. Links to all those items are in the show notes, or you can find more info at patreon.com slash thestorygeeks. Episode 2 was written and read by me, Jay Shear. Nathan Sheck illustrated this book and served as a story consultant. Time Slingers Season 1, including Episode 2, was produced by the Reclamation Society. Here's a clip from my exclusive audio commentary, and I'll catch you next week for Episode 3. You'll notice that this doesn't take place too much farther in the future than the first one. So we're still headed back in time to uh, days that we're familiar with. Nathan and I actually came up with a, with, a, with a couple of rules that are relevant to this chapter or this section of the, of the book. One was that time travel technology predominantly, I'll, I'll describe how it works later, but basically it's, it's the creation of wormholes um, to travel back through time. And what we decided was that a wormhole opens up and closes, and then there is a, uh, a time decay for your ability to go back to that spot using the same wormhole. And you can't create another one to go to the same spot. And the reason for that is that if you have a time travel story and you can just keep going back constantly and just constantly changing it, it's kind of stupid. You just get into these like loops that just keep happening over and over and over again. So you have to kind of give a reason for why you can't go back to the same place again.